Storehouse Dallas. Um, so this morning I want to talk to you about family. And I just want to kind of, I made some notes, but I've just been kind of having this thing in my heart kind of bubbling up. And, and so I want to talk to you about family. And I want to talk to you about um, our family. And, um, and just kind of take you on a, a little journey this morning. Um, you know, when, when, when we started this house of prayer, you guys know the whole story, you know, God broke in, rebuild my temple, all of this kind of stuff. And so, uh, then he told us to start a house of prayer and all of that, right? Well, um, we had been doing it for about three months and, and just sitting on our couch in our house and praying. And it was just, uh, a couple of us and, um, and a friend came to me and she said, you know, the Lord was talking to me this morning and the Lord said that he wants to know what you want to be. And, I, and I'm like, you know, John and I were like, well, what do you mean by that? And she said, you know, what you want to be. And she kept repeating that statement like all of a sudden I'm going to get it. And I said, well, we're a house of prayer. And she said, no, no, what do you want to be? And John and I thought about it and we said, okay, well, we're going to pray about this. And so we... Because even if you're, you know, the the Lord is not building organizations anymore. It was kind of the days of old. He's, he's looking for organisms, you know. He's looking for living, breathing things. And so John and I said, well, the only thing that we know how to be is family. And um, so I don't want to be anything other than what we already are. You know, I can't be Mike Bickle. And, um, and I can't be some of these other people, you know, I can't be, I have to just be us. And so we just replied, we want to be family. And so we prayed and we asked the Lord, we said, you know, God, this is, this is what we want. We want to raise up a family. And so we're in our house for like three years. And it's, you know, when you have people in your house all the time, it's, it's really easy to have a culture of family. Because you're sitting on my couch, you know, you're, you're in my refrigerator. You know, I'll never forget when, when the Koreans used to come every Tuesday, they would bring igloos filled with raw fish, and they just made themselves at home. They have no problem with family. They would come in and chop up raw fish, and, and then, you know, they'd bring their own rice, and they'd hand me a bowl of gray matter and be like, you want some? And I'm like, no, thank you. It's 6 a.m., but they made themselves at home. They're in my refrigerator. They're in my cabinets. They're pulling up. Where are the knives? You know, I mean, they had no problem with family. And so we are all just called to be family. And, um, and so it was easier then. And then when we moved into this beautiful building, um, the one thing that I had in my heart is how do I maintain a culture of family even though there's more of us? Because as we grow, we have to have a culture that other people can begin to come into and experience. And I believe that we can do that successfully if we all understand the truth of who we are. And so when I was designing this, and, um, and I'm just thankful that I got to design it, you know, that I actually laid all the lines and said, this is going to go here, this is going to go there. But um, some of the things that I thought would help to maintain family is um, the coffee shop. 
and a place where people can come and 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 have coffee, you know, during the days. And this could be a meeting place. This can, and it's turned out to be that. I mean, now if you come, um, and, and native coffee is, it's amazing coffee, but it's also people are coming into an environment of, of a house of prayer. And so they're coming here and they're, they should be feeling family. They should be feeling something that is of uh, the presence of the living God, but just like coming into um, a house of love. And um, and so that should be a drawing place for the nations. That should be a drawing place for the community and the neighborhood and people who are and are not saved. And then I wanted to have kind of a couch area where people can still put up their feet and and feel at home and and hang out. And and I wanted to have bathrooms that were really really beautiful, that people could go in and feel loved. And so where is it? How can we continue to make people through an environment feel loved? And, and so that was, and, 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 and uh, the children's area, we wanted them big, we wanted them bright. I want a place for our kids to do cartwheels. I don't want them to feel hemmed in. And so through all of this, I was, uh, my, my heart and John's heart, which by the way, John has a sinus infection, so God heal him in Jesus' name. So I wanted to uh, create living spaces where we can eat and we can drink and we can laugh and we can love and we can pray. We can fellowship um, and do life. And so how, how do you do life? How do you do something that is counterculture to what we've seen. How do we how do we how do we have a place that is so incredibly special where people genuinely like that show cheers, you know, everybody knows your name. Where we we have we have a house where we can um, let the walls of our hearts come down and let people see us in all of our stuff. So I think our challenge is how do we sustain a culture of family as we grow? Um, Luke 8:20, Jesus said this, um, 8:20 and 21, and it was told to him by some who said, "Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you." But he said this. He answered and said to them, "My mothers and my brothers are these that hear the word of God and do it." So if you look around this room, I mean, this is your family. And, and when Jesus came, he started using these relational terms. It's not God where the O is not actually there. I don't actually know how they ever said that, how the Jewish people ever said God without an O. It's just like, buy a vowel, please, buy a vowel. But when Jesus came, what did he do? He began to say, my father, I am his son. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And so they started using relational terms. And Jesus himself said, hey, mom, brothers, you're my, you are my family by birth, but I have another family, and these are my fa- this is my family. I came for a family of affection, and everything that he did came out of love. God so loved the world. Jesus so loved us that he was willing to go to the cross for us. 
So my question is this, I'm, 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 we're building a house of prayer, right? Okay, well, you have a little bit of a challenge with that. Because if you look across the earth and you see the church, the church, 99% of the church, 99.9% of the church, has built an organization that is primarily second commandment. So the focus is the people. So they've developed programs, and they get you plugged in, and they get you into a system. But God said, my house is to be a house of prayer. My house is to be a house of prayer. So, so in a house of prayer, the primary commandment is the first commandment. To love God with all of your strength, with all of your heart, with all of your might, with all of your will. And so, 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 the, uh, so the love is first supposed to go up before it goes out. And, and so there's a little bit of challenge there. How do you build a community around first commandment? So how do we do both? Every family has a value system, and I wanted to show you what ours are because I want you to see it for yourself. Can you put that up? Nope. Yes. So worship and prayer is our heartbeat. Radical love and obedience is our pursuit. Loving people is our passion. Heaven on earth is our lifestyle. Kingdom discipleship is our commission. And prophetic ministry is our culture. And so how do we develop, thank you, how do we develop family around these values? These are on our website if you want to get them. I'm thinking about putting them on that wall right there. Um, because I want us to be able to see it all the time. But the primary thing that we do is this place of prayer and worship. primary thing we do is we love God. Um, the primary thing we do is we open up our hearts. Because when he said, uh, my house shall be called a house of prayer, he was doing it with so much passion. I mean, the, he, the, he got out the whip that, by the way, he had fashioned the night before. So he's, he's taken this whip and he's making it the night before because he knows what he's about to go do. He's about to open up a can of wake up and listen to me. For those of you that discipline your ch children with the rod, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Let me just bring you back into my truth, okay? <laughs> um, so how do we achieve a first and second commandment in a house of prayer? Because if you look at houses of prayer, what you see are 99.9% .9 of the first commandment, and you don't see a whole lot of community in houses of prayer. But God is after a family. He's coming back for a family. He's coming back for a bride. It is so intimate. We're a house of intimacy, a house of love, a table of wine. We are a place that has been where Jesus himself has laid himself before us and said, eat of me. I am this. I am this place of intimacy. I am. And it's not just about the presence. Eat the word. Consume the word. Be in the word. Be in a place of prayer. And I believe that Acts 2.42 
gives us an idea of what this looks like. Because right after Pentecost comes, the presence of God, bam, it hits, and there's all this noise, and everybody's like, what is that sound? And you've got fire on your head. Shandarabha. So Acts 2.42 says this, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. In other words, uh, our Sunday service. So, so uh, there is an apostolic messages that are going forth, and they continued steadfastly in that. There was no New Testament at the time. So when you talk about apostles' uh, doctrine, they were getting fresh, fiery manna from heaven and distributing it so that the people could lay hold of it and they could be fed. They were, they were continuing steadfastly in fellowship, a place where we can all gather and get together, where we can all go to the coffee shop, where we can go and have lunch together, where we can go be in each other's business. In the breaking of bread, they continued steadfastly in the breaking of bread. So they were eating from house to house. We feed everybody here on Thursdays. And there's a lot of time that I, I'll actually do the cooking myself. And I can't tell you how much I love that. It's what I used to do when we had it in my, our home. It was, it was my greatest joy to spend hours cutting onions and, and, and cooking a meal because there's something that happens in the heart when you feed people. There's something that happens in your heart when you eat my food. It causes us to connect. I feel like I've just loved you well, especially if the food is good, right? If it's not so good, you're like, should we say something? <laughs> and then in prayers in the prayer room. So providing a prayer room, and the thing about this prayer room and the beauty of this prayer room is you're like, how do you do community in a, in a prayer room? Well, we had for Halloween, and it wasn't really for Halloween, but it was on the 31st. We had all the kids come, and, and we played games with them, and, and they were all dressed up. There was a princess and a dinosaur, and it was so cool. And, and so they're all run, running all around, and we had our prayer set up here. And so um, we're praying and everything, and we're just in this place of worship, and the kids are loving it. And, um, and so then we went into intercession, and it was so cute because you would have, like, a princess up here, and she would be like... Jesus, I just pray for all my friends in the neighborhood that they're in, and I just pray safety, that Jesus, you would encounter them. Just so sweet, then the dinosaur came up. Then the superhero, Spider-Man, was there. He prayed. So it was just so cool. And then I was a cowgirl. I prayed, you know, and I had a Texas twang. Um, but but it was so beautiful because the kids were running all around and they were praying and we were worshiping and the Holy Spirit was here. And, and it was just, my heart came alive. You know, it looked like family. It looked like family and it was like, you know, I've been doing this for a really long time. And, and that, those little moments are marker moments for me because I realized that we just touched the Father's heart you know, that we're doing life together. Um, so the thing about family <clears throat> is this. We all enter into the kingdom as wounded warriors, right? 
we all enter into the kingdom and we're all like so excited because we experience his love and salvation and and we're like you I'm gonna go I'm gonna run you know and you just feel so much zeal how many of you were there and you know you're just so young in the Lord you don't know what the word of God says all you have is your testimony which is good and you're just running all around and you're telling everybody about Jesus and you're just like crazy right remember those days so good (laughs) but you're kind of a disaster. And, um, and so you go around, you know, you're just like, you know, I didn't get saved until I was like 40. So I had so much baggage. I had, uh, I was, I should have been on Survivor Man. I was actually, Ashley and I were interviewed by the producer of Survivor to be on Survivor as a mother-daughter pair. But I said, yeah, you know, I'm 50. And the idea of running around in front of the whole world in my bathing suit on a beach is terrifying. So that's not going to be happening. And of course, going without food, if it's not a fast, you know, anyway. So um, yeah, so I was in survivor mode, right? And, um, and so even though I had a lot of life experience, and I had a lot of wisdom about life experience, I really had, um, and I thought I had character, because of everything that I had survived. But, you know, the character that the world measures and the character that heaven measures is a lot different. So I didn't understand this at the time, but, but, but the Lord um, was after my heart. And I thought I gave him my heart, but he was after my heart. And I didn't realize that, that I hadn't given him my whole heart, but, I, I, but because of all of my woundings and everything, and you guys know this, I, I gave him like 10%, but at the time I didn't realize I was only giving 10%. I thought I was all in. I love you with my whole heart, you know, but so much of my heart had atrophied and so much of my heart was in self-protection mode and so much of my heart wasn't really available, not to him or not to anybody else. And so when I began to, when I began to be like, okay, we're going to be family, I had like 10% of my heart to give. And uh, it's really interesting how God does, does this. He puts you in community so that they can beat the tar out of you so that your heart gives up what it's holding on to. I didn't realize that dynamic. I thought God wanted me fully alive, but he didn't. He wanted me dead. And I was like, oh. And he used so many things in community to kill me. He used brothers and sisters who hurt me and sons and daughters who betrayed me. So that I would die. And the thing is, is that 
<clears throat> I am German, so it's really hard to get me in the grave. Because I'm determined, to, not by might nor by power. Man, I'm determined by might or by power. I'm like, oh, I can outwork anybody. I can survive. I can fight. I can, all of the things that we think are part of the world system that helps to keep us being successful. But the Lord is like, really, do you think that I called you to the house of prayer called Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, and I'm going to let you build by your might or your power? And so the Lord helped to facilitate these perfect storms in my life. <laughs> and I'm like, me and my intercessors, man, we are killing demons. And the Lord's like, mm-hmm, it's me. <laughs> you think it's the enemy, but it's me. Me. Go read Job. Look at the life of David. It's me. Why? <laughs> and I tell you this because here's the thing. Remember when you were younger and you had a brother or sister and you guys were doing this, right? <laughs> and you're fighting over like the remote or the candy or whatever. You're fighting over it. And I mean, you know, long face, like, <laughs> he, he called me a meanie. You know, and I mean, just dying over it, like travailing. And then 20 minutes later, you're back playing with them again. So, but, but as adults, what the Lord is doing is he's really just saying, you know, I've called you to a place. And I haven't just called you to a place, but I've called you to a people. Because the people that are in this room are actually going to help to facilitate the growth in you and to develop you to a point where your leadership is, 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 is uh, not going to hurt anyone and, and not going to hurt yourself. Because I thought I was a 10 in love, but in fact I wasn't. And it wasn't until I got to the grave and they nailed that thing shut that I found that I gave up trying to build. And when I gave up and I died and I wasn't mostly dead, I was fully dead. Because I'm looking around the room and I see a lot of mostly dead people who are continuing to fight the process of dying or surrendering. <clears throat> I love you. But it wasn't until I was dead, stick a fork in me, I am dead, that I really started to live. And I really started to see, and I really started to dream, and I really started to believe, and I, and I, and I, and I really started to love at a level that is doesn't involve self. There's nothing in it for me. What if I love you and there's nothing in it for me? What if I gain nothing out of just loving you? And I mean, sometimes <clears throat> love looks like serving and helping and encouraging and, 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 and caring for one another. Because every single one of you are in a different place. Every single one of you is in a different season. Some of you are in the dark night of the soul. You know, some of you are on the mountaintop. 
but it's loving each other in every single season that we go through so that we can all come and be presented to the Lord as bright and shiny. But this is, a, this is a, an intimate thing. We are a house. We are a culture of a family, but we're a culture of love. We're a culture of intimacy. Intimacy means into me you see. That I allow you to see that I'm completely vulnerable to you and say, listen, I don't have it all, all together, but I know somebody that does, you know? And, and I can tell you that um, through my death, I'm going to do whatever it takes just to help you die. I'm going to help you find this place of the grave that you can go to as well. And so I asked myself, how do I do this? How do I, how do I be family? How do we be family? Because some of us don't have good experience with family. We don't have good experience with intimacy with our fathers or our mothers, you know. Our family drives us crazy, you know. But that's exactly what they're supposed to do, you know. And, and, it, and it's like, how do you love someone even in the hard times? How do you love someone when they are not lovely? I have um, met several sons and daughters who are orphans, some of them actually orphans, and um, whew, they manifest. But love never fails. And I can tell you even in my own experience, in my own family, in my own life, that I've learned the lesson that love never fails. I have a, um, a daughter, as most of you know, who's a quadriplegic. And um, her mother abandoned them when she was, she was 11 and her brothers and sisters were like 14, 15. Um, so... The mother didn't abandon and say, well, I'm only going to be around. No, the mother said, I'm leaving because I'm selfish, and I'm going to go do whatever I want to do and please myself. And there were no Christmas cards. There were no birthday cards. There was nothing. It was just total silence. And so, um, you know, here I, I married a man with four teenage children, <clears throat> all of them with this condition. And uh, so how do, you, how do you do that? How do you love an orphan? Um, because when she, at uh, 21, she was in rebellion and um, just way off the reservation, you know. But how do you connect with someone? And she breaks her neck and she is now a quadriplegic and, 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 and you have to go in there and you have to love them. And, and not just love them, but serve them. And so here we are um, in the hospital, in the emergency room, and, uh, or not the emergency room, but the uh, ICU. Uh, and lo and behold, here comes mom 
on the scene. Haven't seen her in like, I don't know, 10 years. And uh, wanting to take over the role of mother. Well, you know, you can just about imagine my feelings about that. Oh, you want to be mom now? You want to be mom? And so here I was, you know, in my heart. Now, this is a condition of the heart. And this is how are you going to love in these situations? And so she, uh, the doctor tells us what the reality is going to be with her, her physical condition and, and, the, and the type of care that it's going to require, which is full-time care from a mother. So now you're, you're, you're connected to them every hour of the day. You can't leave them. You have to teach them how to eat, how to dress, how to, I mean, everything. You have to blow dry their hair. You have to feed them. You have to, you know, so everything was required. I was a full-time nurse. I was a full-time, I was a full-time psychologist, you know. I was, you know, anyway. So, so we're sitting there and we're listening to the doctor tell us all of this, me and John and, and the mom or the, anyway. Um, so we're listening to this and this is what she said, the biological mother. Um, she said, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. And of course, naturally, I knew it was going to be me, you know. And, uh, and so uh, I, this was one of those all-encompassing, you're going you're gonna to leave your life behind. You're going to leave your hopes and your dreams behind. You're going to leave everything that you know, your friends, even your other children you won't be able to care for because you're going to be full-time paying attention to the orphan rebellious daughter that the last time you saw her before this accident was saying things that I won't repeat to you. And I remember driving home just crying or driving back to where we were living. We were staying up in Austin at this care place. You know how you pay a dollar a day. I love those places. Those Ronald McDonald houses, they are amazing, life-saving for families. And so we were staying there and I remember crying on my way. And, um, and, and just saying, I, I, I don't know if I can do this. And the Lord said to me, if you don't do this, everything you believe is a lie. And if you don't do this, she'll never know me. And so the Lord was saying to us and is saying to us, we have to love selflessly. That's what family looks like. And let me tell you, there was nothing about that experience, and I didn't know how long it was going to take. I could have been in that situation for eight years, for 15 years, because that's what the nurses were telling me. That's what everybody who had experience was telling me, that you're going to be tethered, and your life is now her life. Everything, she is only going to survive because you are, you are there with her every minute of the day. And she was in a horrible state mentally, in a horrible state physically. And so it's like, how do you do this? The people that we have been called to love, sometimes they're going to be our best friends. And we're going to be like, this is amazing. We're taking the mountaintop. You're just like me. But most of the time, you're like, wow, there are some real issues here. 
I'm seeing under the roof of the car, under the hood of the car, and it's like you get, you're missing some spark plugs, and you know your engine, your belt is loose, and you know that's as far as I can possibly go with that analogy. <laughs> I was really like searching my mind. It was like, what else is under a car hood? I have no idea. <laughs> so. A house, a culture of family looks messy. And a culture of family um, is hard. But, it's, but it is God's way of growing us in love. It is his remedy for our hearts to invest and then just keep loving them. And just keep loving them. And I can tell you that today, my stepchildren call me mom. And they love me like I love them. That our family is truly has blended in every way that you can possibly imagine. We love, we laugh, we're vulnerable. We're weak, we're strong, we're happy because of some choices that I was forced to make by God to love someone who wasn't very lovely. And so I just want to encourage you about how to have a family, a culture that is a family in this place. And one of the things that we've done is we've developed this prayer room and we have life groups that are connected to the prayer room and they come into the prayer room. And so it's like, okay, we're going to eat together. We're going to fellowship together. We're going to get vulnerable and know one another. We're going to go to lunch with each other. We're going to hang out. We're going to do life. We're going to go play ultimate Frisbee. We're going to, you know, we're going to, I'm going to let you throw a pie in my face like last Wednesday, but we're just going to do family, right? Is that okay? All right, so let's go ahead and stand. And I want to, um, I'm going to pray, and I want you to pray with me, okay? If you've been inspired by this message, we invite you to partner with us by visiting storehousedallas.com forward slash give.